Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of The Laugh from Matthew Harden Podcast. I'm your host, Shane Holcomb. Thomas Chukwu's Blues look out of it at the moment, exhausted from playing 15 matches in all competitions since the beginning of December. That is the most among all English clubs in that time period. However, as Chelsea Football Club, I've learned the hard way over the past four league seasons. The matches played during periods of fixture congestion separate the champions from the chasers far behind. I'm very excited to be welcome on Charlie Eccleshare onto the podcast today. Tottenham correspondent for the Athletic.com in UK. Charlie, it's a pleasure to be talking with you today. Thanks for accepting my invitation, first of all. And how's everything with you, mate? Good. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so, I mean, it has been such a crazy season for both of our clubs, per usual, right? And mm. I want to get into the Tottenham situation before we kind of preview the match later on the episode. Kind of an underwhelming summer transfer window. The sack of Nuno Espirito Santo, of course, after that 3-0 home defeat to Manchester United, only after four months in charge, I believe, for the Portuguese man. Uh, Daniel Levy snatched up Antonio Conte as the new manager for the North London Club. Of course, as Chelsea fans know him pretty damn well. Uh, the Italian has yet to lose a league game in nine, though, of course, a thrilling 3-2 come from behind victory yesterday. So what's a word or few that you would use to describe the roller coaster of the campaign that has been uh, so far for Tottenham Hotspur, Charlie? Wow, one word. That is hard. I mean, roller coaster is a good one. Um, thrilling. I guess, uh, for better or worse. I mean, it's been, yeah, never a dull moment. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it started, yeah, going back to the summer. It was a pretty underwhelming summer, as you say, which was dominated with the Harry Kane, Will he, yeah. won't he go saga. And Nuno lasted only four months. Um, pretty underwhelming period. And then, but then suddenly you've got this whirlwind in Antonio Conte, um, this elite coach that they've been wanting for so long. He comes in and results have generally been good, but then there was this, you know, the, the defeats to Chelsea and in, in the Carabao Cup that set things back a bit. And then last night, ridiculous game, you know, two on down in the 95th minute, and then they somehow get two goals out of kind of nowhere by that point I mean I think they deserved to win the game but by then it looked like it was all over and I was sort of mm. drafting my tweet about how this was the first defeat of the Conte era etc etc what did it uh, in the Premier League anyway what did it mean and then obviously it all turns mm. around and that's kind of it was silly of me it was naive to think that there wouldn't be another twist because um, yeah yeah I've been covering Spurs since uh September 2019 mm. and ever since then it's been chaos really just so eventful um, yeah i think so, the, yeah, more the same. i think i think the all or nothing documentary missed 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 timing for, for tottenham hotspur because of course it was a great couple of entertainment seasons for for jose but i mean i feel like conte's you know getting inside of that dressing room right now would be perfect place for amazon to be of course we'll see what they put out with with arsenal at the end of the season mm-hmm. really looking forward to that um but let's get right into our questions that we have from some of my really good friends because um, a lot of people were wondering a lot about Tottenham Hotspur. When they were, I mean, we're really close rivals. We were always wondering what's going on in the club because sometimes as outsiders, you know, we're not really getting into the day-to-day coverage that you provide for the club. Um, so my one good friend, Dan Hill, uh, cheers, Dan. Yeah, he's asking about the gap, right, to City, Liverpool, Chelsea, even a club like United um, at the moment. He was really asking mm-hmm. about, you know, Conte and does he have Levy's backing, you think, especially so far in this January transfer window? Not so much has gone on. Conte has talked a lot about in his press conferences the fact that these this Tottenham squad is so far off from the likes of Liverpool, Chelsea, City, even someone like Arsenal. 
Um, so what are your thoughts on that heading into probably one of the most important tandem transfer windows in quite a while because Antonio Conte, we've seen in the past, he doesn't get really what he wants, not a very happy guy. Yeah, it's a weird one because I think that the mm. gap to that top three is big. You know, Chelsea showed that. Um, but the thing is, they can be a little way off those three for the moment mm. and still have a really successful season. Because if they come fourth, and at the moment they're in a really good position to do that, then it's been an amazing season. Um, you know, back in the Champions League would be incredible. And I think they're in a position to do that. You look at the table, obviously, lots of, you know, there are, it's complicated because there are lots of games in hand, but... They've got a really good crack at fourth. And for the moment, I think that's kind of enough. Then it becomes, well, can they, can they close down that gap in the time frame that Conte is realistically going to be there? I mean, he's only on an 18-month contract. And I think that's the slight tension is, is that going to be long enough to bridge that gap? I mean, City, they're kind of in a league of their own. But Liverpool and Chelsea are also a, lot, a long way in front of Spurs, I think, even though... Points-wise, Tottenham could close that gap and overtake Chelsea with their games in hand. But I think that's why the Carabao Cup semis were, were so chastening for Conte. I think he, he really felt angered and almost humiliated by that first leg, going back to his old club. Just the way Chelsea kind of swatted Spurs aside, you know, it, was, it was painful for him. And he's been clear, yeah, he does, exp- he does think they need, to, they need signings on top of his coaching, his methods, etc., to, to bridge that gap. Um, I, don't, I mean, January, I expect they will bring in one or two. I think that will happen in the next week or so. But it was never going to be a mad transfer window, and he knew that. Summer, again, yeah, they'll be busier. But I'd be surprised if they went crazy. You know, that's not really their style, and that's always been the message to Conte. I, just, I think Conte's been a little surprised, in a way, by um, how far off Spurs are from a team like Chelsea. But things can change quickly. And yep. we, may, we may even see that gap being closed on Sunday a little bit. Um, but certainly, you look... I mean, I tweeted during the second leg that Chelsea's bench, pretty much all of the players on their bench that night could have got into Spurs' team on the night. So that does give you a sense of just the golf and quality of those two squads. And yeah, Chelsea have had a lot of games, they've got a lot of tired players, but they have a squad that they can absorb the loss of a few. Whereas Chelsea, uh, Spurs that night were missing four or five and just look way off it compared to Chelsea. Yeah, and this kind of leads into one of my next questions from a good friend, Mediano, and he's talking about you know, the type of financial backing Conte is expecting versus what Spurs can actually offer. And maybe like you were attesting to, you know, in the summer transfer window, it's more of a case similar to Chelsea and how we function over the past couple years of, you know, receiving the money from the outs before we can really start to invest in, in a little bit of some sign-ins, maybe towards that summer transfer window, collecting some more money in the bank so we can really go out and do some business. And of course, too, I think we're going to get into this a little bit later, but someone's asking about, you know, the hurricane situation. We'll talk a little bit about that um, a little bit later, but um, your thoughts on like what's Tottenham's transfer budget at the moment? Like, do they have sufficient funds to go out there and sign a quality player uh, or two or three, you know, build in that squad. And do you think Conte will be disappointed in, in the financial resources that Levy has at the moment? I think this month, my understanding is there's probably enough to bring in one, maybe two players without the need for um, outgoing. But a lot of it is dependent on outgoings. And actually, if you look at their business, even in the summer, a lot of swaps, a lot of loans, there weren't many just outright cash deals. Even Kristen Romero, big signing. That was actually a loan. 
So I don't think it's going to be massive. In the summer, it'll be bigger. What I find really interesting, Conte has always been told that, but the extent to which he doesn't think, but hang on a minute, clearly major surgery is needed. Surely you, you break from your policy or you make an exception for now, but that won't necessarily happen. You know, um, we've seen in the past, Daniel Levy, who I think most fans on a broader scale would say has done a good job, but a lot of fans have frustration with transfer windows and how much or how little has often been the case they've spent. So COVID obviously as well has been a big factor. And as we know, Spurs with their, the whole model was built on their stadium, was going to bring in a huge amount of revenue. I mean, match day alone, about 5 million. That went for such a long period. I think that had a massive uh, impact on the club and their whole business model. So those are issues. You know, hopefully for them, fans will stay in stadiums all season and they can be in a bit more of an even keel. And I think they'll spend more in the summer, but I just don't see them spending tons uh, over the next week or so. And I know we're, we've been talking a little bit about this now, the, the relationship between Conte and Levy, but of course you brought up earlier, you know, the fact that it is only an 18 month con uh, contract that, that Levy put on the table. Um, one of my good friends, RJ is talking about, is wondering about, you know, that's Conte relationship with the Spurs fans, right? And the fact that, you know, we saw at Chelsea, he can fall out with, with people, you know, at, at the end, especially towards his second year in charge, similar to someone like Jose. Um, but looking forward, like what kind of expectations do you have for this team if Conte can have success and there is a little bit of stability, even if it only is for the next six months, you know, because, mm -hmm. of course, Tottenham, you know, they, they had a little bit of a doozy in the FA Cup third round, but they advanced in that competition. The Carabao Cup, like you like we were pointing to earlier, was a good opportunity for them to even get to another final. Um, but expectation-wise for, you know, the next, I guess, to the end of the season, I know top four would be a massive goal and it would be a great accomplishment, I think, from Conte, especially uh, comparing to the start of Spurs season. You know, they were kind of on a big low. I mean, hence the sack that Muno. So what are your expectations and what do you think Tottenham can achieve um, with the squad under a great manager like Conte in the near future? I think they can get top four. I think they probably mm. will. If I had to yep. put money on one team to do it, I mean, it's between them, United, Arsenal and West Ham. I think they will just about edge it. I think, you know, de obviously depending a bit on injuries, but assuming that's fairly even across the those four clubs. Not being in Europe is a massive bonus for them, I think, now that they can prepare for games. Um, you know, we know how much Conte prides himself on the time spent on the training ground, what he did with Chelsea in 2016-17 when they won the league without any European football. So, yeah, I think that. And then from there, hard to say. I mean, Conte's never had a great record in Europe. He's always been better, a lot better domestically. Um, but that, to me, feels like a realistic aim. And bear in mind, you know, yesterday, I think they went and admittedly Leicester had an, an injury ravaged team, but Spurs were missing you know, half of their regular starters as well. And I think, yeah, once they get them all back, um, that'll make a big difference. Also, I know it wasn't quite as many as that, but they, you know, they were missing Romero and Dyer from their back three and, you know, they conceded two and I think they'll look a lot more solid when they come back. And obviously Son Heung-min is massive for them. So that's a few really key players. Um, and Regulon couldn't do the whole game. Um, so I think top four is realistic. I, I, I actually do expect them to get it, especially if you said, you know, I don't think it should be underestimated. They beat Watford with a last minute goal. In the last two games, they beat Watford and then 
Leicester they were losing and then winning. That's five points they've earned in stoppage time in the last two matches. And that, I think, could be hugely decisive come the end of the season. You know, even in that second leg of that Carabao Cup, you know, Tottenham were behind, but they were still pushing on. You know, they, they put in a decent shift of performance that day. Of course, had a little bit of issues with, with Barr. But, I mean, going forward, we've seen Conte be able to snatch those victories, and that's what he does such a great job with in, in his past career. You see the confidence in this team. I think, and that's the most important part. I think for that dressing room, that's what they kind of needed at the moment. You know, some confidence going forward. You saw that even at the early stages of Jose's uh, reign at Tottenham, you know, a bunch of confidence going forward. And a Champions League spot in looking at the games in hand as well. I think Tottenham's two-week period before that Liverpool game really helped them mm. kind of recover a little bit. You saw a great shift against Lurken Klopp's men. And they look a little bit fit. They look a bit healthy. Of course, the likes of Son being out for extended period of time doesn't help at all. But when you're considering the fact that they had a little bit of time off going forward to mentally recover heading into the last parts of the season, all they will be focused on now, like you mentioned, too, is getting into the top four spaces. While you have the likes of West Ham playing European football, you have Arsenal. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of there's a lot going on with Arsenal right now, especially in the transfer window. And I'm just I don't love the talent. I don't think the talent in the squad is better than Tottenham. I think at the moment, especially the coaching mismatch is huge. And Conte will pride that top four spot, um, especially going into the next season. To, and this kind of gets to my next question now, you know, to convince the likes of Son and, and Kane even farther to stay. You know, and of course, they're on mm. huge contracts at the moment, you're going forward, but there probably will be the question once again next summer, Charlie, the fact that, okay, you know, say Tottenham finished fifth, is Harry Kane going to be staying here for another year? Hell, is Son going to be staying here, you know? Mm. So, and that's what my friend Jay is asking about. MJ Mikachak, I should bring up Jay. He just signed on as a senior editor at the Central Journal over in the UK. Um, he's doing a really great job. So cheers, Jay. And he's asking about, you know, what happens if Kane does leave? You know, what happens if Tottenham do finish fifth? Um, going forward, does that mean someone like Son goes with them if there's no Champions League football? What do you think happens to the structure of the squad? And do you think Tottenham are prepared for someone like Harry Kane to leave the club come next summer? Well, Son is on an only signed a new long-term deal last summer so I don't think there's too much worry about him going it would take a huge off it's a huge bid and he's 30 come the summer so I just I can't really see that Kane yeah as you say it, a lot of it does depend on if they get Champions League or if they don't um, he'll have two years left on his deal come the summer he turns 29 in the summer so you know you're thinking Slight last chance saloon for someone like City to come in unless he just runs down his contract. Um, I think if they get top four, that probably is enough to keep him. If they don't, then he might then he might want to move again. I mean, he his position was not necessarily that he wanted to leave Tottenham. It was that he has always maintained his position as clear. He wants to win the biggest trophies. And he felt... Spurs weren't in a position to do that. And I think he had some justification for feeling that, given that they just finished seventh and their response to finishing seventh was appointing Nuno Espirito Santo, a manager whose level is probably about seventh. So I think he was, I think you can understand where he was coming from. Now with Conte, and assuming Conte is there going into next season, he may feel slightly differently. And if they're in the, especially if they're in the top four, then that looks like they're moving in the right direction. Um, you know, were he to go, it's interesting. A lot, you know, there was a lot of people I was speaking to in the summer just gone, mainly not from the UK, interestingly, were kind of who don't have our same 
sense maybe of, uh, you know, how can, you can't let your best player go, he's your talisman, he's being a captain, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of them who are probably more dispassionate were like, yeah, I think they should sell him. They, they're being off, you know, if they get offered enough money or a big offer, yeah, let him go. Look at the age he's at, et cetera, et cetera. The problem was that offer from City never really came in. I mean, they just didn't go anywhere near as high as what Spurs wanted. Um, and I guess it depends as well how he does over the rest of the season, the extent to which City want or need him. Um, but it would, mean, it would mean a big rebuild. But the encouraging thing is he is he's looking a lot sharper. Um, and as it stands with Conte, he seems happy. You know, yesterday the way he responded, I know he you know he loved that last night. So things are looking a bit more positive, I think, in that in that respect. Yeah, I think definitely looking into this forward this summer, and especially I think some of that noise was especially after that year of tournament and the fact that you know the disappointment of losing the final and wanted to go and win mm -hmm. a trophy with another team. And I think too. You know, he didn't have a great start to that tournament, but towards the end, he was really firing on. And that's when a lot of the noise was, was at was had its peak. So I think, you know, this year there might be a little bit more quiet about that. And um, going forward, you know, I think, especially if you can continue to develop this relationship with Conte, it seems like they're on good terms with one another. And of course, he's the centerpiece for if Conte if, like, does, is able to have a project at this club, you know, he's going to be the main talisman along with someone like Son going forward. So I think, the importance of keeping a guy like that has only gone up this season, mm. especially to, you know, to keep Conte at the club, to keep him happy just in general. Um, let's move on to that Chelsea Spurs match this weekend. Of course, we mentioned a little bit earlier the fact that, I mean, we've played you guys a lot. It seems like in the past couple of weeks, of course, that two-leg League Cup semifinal, both games where Chelsea started on the front foot, kind of slowed down the second half, I must say. Um, Thomas Trickle, especially in that second leg, said that it wasn't Chelsea's best performance. They didn't look sharp at all, even though they escaped away with a 1-0 victory that day. Um, but in, in the tie, you mentioned Conte's disappointment come back to the bridge. Of course, this is a different. This is a Premier League match, and Spurs have more of an eye on that top four now. And as Chelsea fans have to be realistic, unfortunately, it is the case once again that we are in a top four battle, probably going into the end of the season. And Spurs are right there because I believe if they win their games in hand, they're either tie with Chelsea or maybe even a point ahead of us. That, that makes no, this that, match that, yeah, that they're, they're ahead of us. Wouldn't they be? Yeah. I think they go, yeah. let me just double check. But I think they go four. they could go four points ahead of Chelsea. Okay. They, I think they're, they're eight points behind. With, um, okay. Four games. I mean, it's wild. Hand. It's yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's crazy. Okay. Um, so this game this weekend, you know, Chelsea fans, I think, I mean, of course, it's the London Derby, but I mean, there's a lot more emphasis on this game now than there probably was a couple of weeks ago, especially the fact that Spurs will be coming to the bridge with revenge on their minds. Um, but Pat Larson, one of my good friends, is asking, you know, do you think Conte will change his approach to this game um, now that he's seen us play, you know, over that, that two-leg tie? What were your thoughts on the Spurs' performance during those games, especially in the first leg? They looked very lethargic. Um, I know a lot of Spurs fans were disappointed with that performance. It was almost like Chelsea had a training session, especially in that first tie. Um, mm. So do you think Conte will change his approach tactically, personnel-wise? Because, you know, it seems like Tuchel had something working against that system um, only a couple of weeks back. I think he, do he doesn't have a ton of options, Conte, yep. because there are a mm. few injuries. But I would expect, I expect he'll go with the 3-5-2, probably, that he used against Leicester, um, probably with more... Uh, and Kane. The, the other option is he switches to a 3-4-3 to bring Bergwijn into the team after he scored two in that game. And then the, the, the question mark he has is whether to bring Matt Doherty 
in on the right, Doherty came on against Leicester and was good, gave them more of an attacking thrust, but Royale is more solid defensively and he may feel against Chelsea. Uh, he needs that. So I think those are only the, the only real decisions he has. I don't think he'll spring a big surprise. And my, my, my sense is that he'll probably go with the three in midfield uh, to stiffen that area up against Chelsea and leave Moore and Kane up front. Um, yeah, that would be my expectation. And that, it probably makes sense because I feel like Tuchel is going to probably bring in someone like Mason Mount continue to play him in this game on Sunday because especially if Conte is probably favoring putting those three in midfield, even though we'll have probably a, a really talented pivot, you know, Mount is someone who can drop back into the midfield and provide cover. Um, and, and that's really where the area I think this is this game is going to be won going forward. Um, so every podcast episode, Charlie, for a match especially, um, my stat, my Twitter on hand, my Twitter handle is Statman Shane. Um, did a little bit of a rebrand recently, and I'm really interested in like fun facts, match analytics. Um, so every episode, you know, I'll give a little bit of fun facts, especially during the matchup. So of course, it's Chelsea Spurs on Sunday. Um, we've won five of our last six game league games against Spurs, keeping five clean sheets in the process. Tottenham, of course, have very struggled very mightily at Stamford Bridge. Just one of their last 31 have just won one of their last 31 away league games against Chelsea coming in 2018. Conveniently enough, Conte was in charge that day. Tottenham mm -hmm. have lost 13 of their 17 away games in all competitions against European champions. Chelsea, we talked about this earlier, we've won three games against Tottenham in all competitions this season, including twice this past month um, in the EFL Cup semifinal. The last Premier League team to win four games against an opponent in a single campaign were City against West Ham in 2013-14. Chelsea have earned a whopping 498 points from their 271 Premier League London Derby matches, and victory here would see them become the first side to reach 500 points in the history of the competition in those London Derbies. But Spurs have been pretty good in the Derbies as well recently, winning their last two, having lost five in a row before Conte came in. Chelsea have drawn each of their last three Premier League home games. They've not gone four without a win at Stamford Bridge, Charlie, in the competition since May 2016. No manager to have previously taken charge of Chelsea in the Premier League has won against Blues at Stamford Bridge, drawn seven, lost 13. Antonio Conte will be the eighth different manager to try, which, either the, which each of the last three losing on their first attempt. That uh, will be Mourinho with Spurs, Benitez, and Ancelotti. Um, Harry Kane, we talked about him a lot in this episode. He's got 39 goals in 65 Premier League London Derby matches. Second only to Thierry Henry, uh, who has 43 in the history of the competition. However, he's netted just once in his last seven league games, doing so against Crystal Palace on Boxing Day. So Kane's been good in the bigger matches, especially against London foes, but he has had a little bit of a soft spot um, recently. So any like thoughts on some of those facts? You know, Chelsea dominating this London Derby recently, especially at Stamford Bridge. Um, so it's always a big match. Conte. He loves to break records and he'll want to get one over his old club. So what, what facts kind of stuck out the most to you? Well, one thing just on top of that, that I yeah. quite like the sequence this season has been in the Chelsea Tottenham games has been three nil Chelsea, two nil Chelsea, one nil Chelsea. So yeah. by that logic, zero, zero. Yeah. yeah, we can expect a nil nil on, uh, on Sunday. I wouldn't be surprised. There's been a lot of them for, for a lot of Premier League big matches over the past year and a half. So yeah, especially with these two managers. Yeah. Yeah, it's just interesting to see how much the last couple of weeks help or hinder either team, you know, yeah. having a slight sense of what the other's going to do. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the numbers that you read out there, they don't, they, um, yeah, they don't look good for, uh, 
for Spurs, that's for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, that one away win in the league mm. since, or I think actually even in all competitions since 1990 yeah. is, uh, is pretty damning. So that it just shows, you know, how big a result it would be mm. for Spurs to get. Um, and, and I think Chelsea do seem to turn it on against Spurs. They have a bit of a swagger. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it doesn't look good. But maybe, yeah, that sequence will continue and we'll, we'll get the nil-nil that Spurs would bite your hand off for. Yeah, will we will be going to the game on Sunday. Yes, I will. Um, really? Yeah, it'll be my second trip to Stanford Bridge in, in yeah. a couple of weeks. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's weird how, how often they play it. Yeah, three times now in... Yeah. in short period so yeah getting quite familiar uh with, with that Chelsea it's great actually like the press box at Stamford Bridge is really low down I was going to ask you about covering do you, do you enjoy covering at Stamford Bridge yeah I mean yeah. It, I wouldn't want that every week because you don't have the best view but to do it just on the odd occasion as an away reporter it's really interesting because yeah. you're so close a you're like you've got Conte and Tuchel just right there and they're really <laughs> entertaining to watch just going nuts yeah. all game but also just you get a real sense of the speed of it and it's just yeah. frightening, especially that first yep. game, which Chelsea won 2-0, the way yeah. they press, the way they move and sync off the ball, how quickly they pass to one another. It's just incredible. So I do, I really like Stamford Bridge from that aspect. It's, it's, um, it's just a bit different from most of the other grounds. I don't think there's anywhere else where you're so yeah. close. That's cool to hear. And now transition into the end of the episode, we'll cover a little bit of, of course, your work for the athletic, but, Give a bold prediction, perhaps for the match. Uh, that could be team news, personnel, the results, what's going to happen, who's going to score, something like that. But also, in, in, in a little bit, in, in like maybe two or so minutes, a bold prediction for the rest of the season um, for Spurs. But let's start off with the match. What do you think something's crazy going to happen? What, what, what do you think that'd be? If something crazy were to happen, what? what, what? Um, well, I think, like, I've taught myself into this nil-nil idea, and I think that would be kind of crazy in the context of how bad uh, Spurs' record has been. Um, you know, or what would be really crazy is Spurs just carry on from where they left off against Leicester, really go for Chelsea, sensing that Chelsea are in a bit of a tricky patch, do what Brighton did the other night, because a few Spurs fans are watching that and saying, hold on a minute, you were telling us that, you know, Chelsea were just way better than us, but surely mid-table Brighton should have the same fear and they don't seem to, they're taking the game. So I think that would be, um, that would be a bit of a surprise and a big lift for Spurs if they really just went for Chelsea and, and took the game to them. Mm. Yeah, I think that the confidence level, especially among fans and, and even in that, seems like in that dressing room and now for Chelsea is at its lowest that it's been in a while, of course. Mm. Um, I've spoken about the fact that, I mean, now it's crazy to think about, but, and I know we've had EFL Cup and FA Cup games in between, but Chelsea haven't won a Premier League game since Boxing Day against Aston Villa, you know, so we haven't really sensed yeah. that three points in, in quite a while time. The team, of course, will know that the title race is completely done and now we have to challenge once again for a top four spot, but hopefully cement that, you know, before the last couple of matches of the season because you don't want to be going through that chaos again. Um, by the way, thanks for helping us out last year um, and getting oh, us yeah. into the Champions League. Yeah, um, that was that was big, wasn't it? It was, yeah. I mean, it was wild because I mean, we we had lost the Villa, and it was Gareth Villa, man. He helped us get into mm. the Champions League, but I mean, of course, we went on to win the title. And yeah, you would have got it anyway. But I mean, but I mean, regardless, it's just kind of funny that Spurs helped us, and that was against Leicester too, wasn't it? Last season, they yeah. they, they kind of came back and beat them as well. Um, Another late at, show against Leicester. Yeah, at the Kin Power. So, like, I want to round out this episode though. 
Um, Charlie, with your work for the Athletic, you know, I think you mentioned you've been covering the club for since September of 2019. Of course, you were a journalist during one of the most saddest times of football history, going to grounds and empty stadiums. So kind of like, mm. what was that like? But also, how have you sensed the impact of fans returned to the grounds and, and what, what impact has that had on the players? Um, but also, like, yeah, let's, let's first start with the, like, the experience, you know, and the atmosphere covering football in empty stadiums. What was that like? It was really weird. And actually now, when I see, for whatever reason, clips of that period, it's hard to believe it happened. And it just doesn't feel real. Um, and as, I, I always felt at the time it was a little bit overblown when people said things like, oh, um, there'll be an asterisk against this season. But I do kind of know what they mean now. Because when you look back on it, it just doesn't look like football. Um, but the upside was that we got to hear um, all the managers and the players and all of this sort of thing, which was quite cool um, and does give you quite an interesting insight into the sort of things that are going on during a game. So that, that was a benefit. But obviously, you're aware of the kind of weirdness and the sadness of the fact that you're there without fans. And it has been massive. Like the first game of this season... Um, Spurs hosting Man City and, and Spurs won and it was a full house and it did feel redemptive and like proper football um, had returned. Yeah, I think that's given everyone a huge lift, the, um, the fans coming back. Uh, yeah, I think it's, it's had a big impact, fans coming back and it just feels like it's proper football again and the players have had a big lift. Um, and yeah, I just hope, really hope it stays that way for the rest of the season. Yeah, it's weird because there was a little bit of a period in like December, January, right, where like fans and the press were a little bit nervous about the fact that they might have to go back to that because cases were, you know, rising um, in the UK. But thankfully, we've been able to have, you know, things like testing, vaccination rates go up recently. And of course, you know, I feel like it's impacted the play too as well because like it just seemed like training sessions sometimes, especially in like kind of those dull games. Yeah, yeah. And it just wasn't, it was just a shame to be watching as like a fan. Um, but it was interesting, like, you know, probably covering and you could even hear like managers at home, you know, like shouting out players more often. Like that was a neat aspect of it, but that was probably the only neat aspect. Of it. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's brilliant that fans are back in the grounds. Um, but yeah, let's wrap up the podcast here, Charlie, today. Um, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it once again, uh, with the communication and, did a really nice job today explaining the Spurs situation. And um, I know my Chelsea fans and, and friends will, will really appreciate that. I'm looking forward to this weekend as well. Big London Derby. Um, before we cut off the recording today, Charlie, where can my listeners find your work for The Athletic and also on social media and some other content that you're putting out in the next couple of days heading into the London Derby on Sunday? Yeah, so we've got... Um have a piece going out tomorrow which guys everyone can read on the athletic and if you go to i think it's theathletic.com uh if you haven't subscribed already uh you can do it there and then i'm on twitter at cd eccleshare uh, e-c-c-l-e-s-h-a-r-e and i tend to link to all of my stuff there uh, and give my thoughts uh on football and some other things um so yeah that's the place to go yeah, good stuff, everyone. Keep an eye out for Charlie. I don't know if the cameras will pop over to the like behind the play in the press box, but <laughs> like, have you ever have you ever had like a camera on you and like you've seen it on the on the telly or now? Uh, yeah, I think once or twice I've been spotted. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, it doesn't happen too often.
But yeah, keep an eye out for him on if he'll be there on, on Sunday. Enjoy the game, man. I, I'm point everyone to so, you know go out and, and and follow him on Twitter, especially as a Spurs correspondent for theathletic.com. Um, and if you're in the US, just put a dot UK after that because there, of course, is the USA version of that as well. Um, but they're doing a great job. I think your company is probably the best at at, at their journalism and and giving us the facts and also making it make narrating some really cool stories behind. Um, behind that great journalism. So I think that's a great thing that Affleck does. So yeah, make sure to go support him. Um, I know he covers Spurs, Chelsea fans, <laughs> but I promise you he doesn't bite. Um, <laughs> but yeah, hopefully, you know, we can make Antonio Conte suffer, as he likes to say once again on Sunday, even at the bridge. And you guys can find the podcast on Instagram, really trying to grow that platform at Ladder from Matthew Harden Pod. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at that man Shane. I'll have a lot of analytics pieces, a lot of spreadsheets coming up in the next couple of days into like xg things with with statistics and all that um and, and some fun facts like i like i said today and i'll put that on twitter um per usual but yeah make sure to go rate us on spotify now and podcast is on apple Podcasts, which is really cool now as well um so thank you charlie once again everyone hope you're staying safe out there um enjoy the football this weekend whoever you support make sure to go support uh charlie's work and until next time chelsea fans once i try to make a share i'm shane holcomb this was a lot from matthew harden podcast and up the chance.